You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. This network is supported by our listeners. You can become a supporting member by going to arcpodnet.com slash members and signing up. As a supporting member, you have access to high-quality downloads of each show and a discount at our future online store and access to show hosts on a members-only Slack team. For professional members, we'll have training shows and other special content offered throughout the year. Once again, go to arcpodnet.com slash members to support the network and get some great extras and swag in the process. That's arcpodnet.com slash members. Hello and welcome to the Archaeotech Podcast, episode 58. I'm your host, Chris Webster, with my special co-host, Richie Cruz. On today's show, I talk to the creators of WildNote, a form generation and field data collecting application. Let's get to it. All right, welcome to the show. Um, I've got with me a, a guest co-host today, and that's uh, Mr. Richie Cruz. Yo, hello there. <laughs> so Richie has been joining me on some shows because uh, primarily because he's local, yeah. Uh, and I've got a new podcast studio here to uh, to podcast in at the Reno Collective, so that's been really great. And I'll just make a quick plug for all you archaeologists out there. Richie and I record every Friday at three p.m. and it uh, it goes live on Facebook on the Archaeology Podcast Network channel, and the show is called. You call this archaeology. You can't subscribe to it yet. Hopefully you can soon um, on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google and all that stuff. But right now you can see it on Richie's YouTube channel. Yeah. Happy Archaeology Fun Time. Yep. And you can see it live on the Facebook feed for the Archaeology Podcast Network at 3 p.m. But it also saves the video so you can watch it anytime you want. Um, And please, if you do, share it, comment, do whatever you're going to do so we know people are there. We've seen the views starting to slowly increase as we've done five episodes, I think. And, uh, And it's really great. It's just a fun casual conversational show that we just have a good time with yeah and you know we're working on making the video and the audio better (laughs) we have mistakes every single time one of these days that's right so right now though uh we're gonna get back into technology here um i first heard about the company that we're going to talk about uh i guess probably three or four months ago um somebody a friend of a friend emailed them and said hey have you heard about this company what are they all about and then i heard about it through that and then started looking at it and then um and actually, uh, uh, you know, I think I don't even remember how we got connected. We got connected through social somehow, and then we ended up with this interview. Um, but the company is called WildNote, and I've got some of the founders and creators of WildNote on the show right now: Kristen Hazard and Nancy Douglas. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. And Kristen. Thanks, Chris, for having us. Um, should I introduce myself? Yeah, we'll start with you, Kristen. Why don't you tell us, um, tell the audience who is, you know, primarily professional archaeologists, you know, tell them what who you are and what your background is, um, and 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 anything else you want to divulge in that realm. Okay, great. So my name is Kristen Hazard. I'm the founder and CEO of WildNote, and um, WildNote came out of my work at an environmental consulting firm. Actually, there mm-hmm. was a, a probably about five six years ago. I had started a consulting, a software consulting company, and at the same time became a principal in a small environmental consulting company. So I was kind of doing two things at the same time. And I learned a ton about environmental consulting through being a principal. Um, And through that, I actually ended up building a similar app for PG&E for all of their compliance reporting. And then I learned even more about this concept of form-based field data collection with photos and 
not really needing a trimble, but you're out in the field collecting data. And I took that and um, all that knowledge and sort of this entrepreneurial spirit and decided to create WildNote. So we bootstrapped that kind of in our spare time, as you can imagine <laughs> how much that is. <laughs> yeah. So we, we bootstrapped that um, and then got super, super serious about it in 2016 and went into beta. And then now we've actually launched the product. Okay, so is your background, Kristen, in more in software development, or is it in uh, something in the environmental realm? So my background is really varied. I have a mechanical engineering degree from Cal Poly, and then from there I got a law degree. Nice. <laughs> and then as I was waiting for my bar results, I got hired to be a programmer. And hmm. much to my surprise... Um, <laughs> I actually was working part-time as a law clerk kind of person and part-time as a programmer in Silicon Valley during one of the booms when they would kind of hire anyone off the street to program, honestly. There was mm -hmm. so much money uh, to be spent. And um, so I got these two jobs and I was comparing them. And, you know, and the law firm is very staid and um, not super friendly. Um, and then I would go to my startup and we'd be playing ping pong <laughs> and eating free snacks. And I'd have my own, uh, you know, my own cubicle, my own nice computer. And I just and I actually found a love for programming, too. And I was like, oh, my God, I just incurred all this law school debt. And now I'm going to be a programmer. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome it's amazing the way our careers take us i think sometimes right. yeah. yeah all right well nancy what's your uh what's your story what's my story well it's nowhere near as exciting as christian's story <laughs> so um and you know, hopefully your listeners won't turn off when i disclose that i have you know no um environmental formal environmental background archaeology background or programming background for that matter <laughs> mm -hmm. but um what i bring to the table for Kristen, i i met her about a year and a half ago, I guess, right, when she was just getting ready to go into beta for WildNote. And uh, when she shared with me what she was doing, somehow I just got it. Like I understood immediately what the benefit of this technology would bring. And I have been connected to environmental communities in various kinds all throughout my really diverse career set of, <laughs> I have a degree in recreation therapy, I built my own uh, real estate and pro property management firm and sold that. I just have a really varied mm. background, but this was something where I intuitively understood how um, this could work and what a benefit it could bring to all different levels of environmental, the environmental fields and services industry. So I, I basically said to her, I think I want to help you with this. And she said, okay. <laughs> so right. um, what I, what I bring to this, I'm, I'm the sales director for wild note and I love connecting with people and learning about what they're doing. And I'm just all, just always interested in learning something new. Mm -hmm. And, um, this realm has so many interesting things going on in it that it's just exciting every day. And, mm -hmm. um, having to reach out from you to Kristen, um, this is an area that we've been exploring. I've been working with a couple of CRM firms and really enjoying what I'm learning from them and really seeing that I think as we talk further that we can bring some value into this particular industry that you folks are in. That's great. And I will tell you both of you right now that I think it's awesome that you actually didn't come up through the ranks of archaeology because that's been archaeology's problem for I think 40 or uh, four or five decades is 
everybody tries to keep everything in-house and to do everything insular. And then you've got a bunch of people who aren't qualified to do a thing trying to do a thing. And we need people from outside of archaeology to bring in that perspective and say, hey, all these things I learned over here, those actually work really well right here. And the only way you can do that is to bring in another perspective. So I think it's great. Yeah. Nancy, she's such a people person. She's a perfect Nick, <laughs> you need you know, that. I watch her at conferences <laughs> and talking to people and just um, learning so much. And that's for us, that's our biggest thing right now is we need to be talking mm-hmm. to as many users as possible, understanding the true pain points and not the ones that the programmers think are the pain points and then building for mm-hmm. that, basically. So she's such a valued asset in that way. Yeah, and between hiking, drinking, and report writing, it's hard for archaeologists to get anything else done. So, so, so a little bit about Wild Note. Um, what's your? You guys kind of alluded to this a little bit, but what's really your? Um, what's your grand vision for this? What's your philosophy for? Um, you kind of talked about why you started it, but where, where, where would you like to see wild note go? What's your, you know, I, I guess I'm, I'm trying to dance around it a little bit here, but what's your philosophy behind wild note, your, your vision for it? So we'd like to revolutionize environmental compliance, monitoring and reporting. Basically that's the big, big picture. And mm-hmm. what we see is a lot of these paper-based, um, processes. So paper out in the field, then, then bring it into Word and then maybe turn it into PDF and then maybe email it to the appropriate stakeholders. All of it sort of, whether it's digital paper or real paper, these inefficient paper-based processes. And we see that, wow, we could go electronic from beginning to end, right? So Mm -hmm. digital field data collection, back at the office, editing through the web app, it's still in a uh, relational database and easy to edit and easy to have everything in one place. And then eventually exporting to these various agencies and stakeholders electronically as well, creating massive efficiencies, less hassle, headache, that sort of thing, and hopefully saving everybody money, which everybody can get behind environmental compliance being more efficient and less expensive. And, you know, I think um, I know you guys have some some definitely some directions you want to go in the future. But right now uh, and also keep in mind that while it's pro- my guess is it's primarily archaeologists that listen to the show because I don't know why else would you. But uh, it's primarily archaeologists. A lot of those archaeologists work for environmental firms and firms with other departments and things like that. So it's still this is a really valuable conversation to have um, even for them. So right out of the box right now today, who is Wild Note best for like who who could who could best in the environmental realm use Wildnote? Definitely environmental consulting companies that are doing compl- big compliance projects, basically. So okay. that's where we see super sweet spot, you know, where you've got a <laughs> lot of people out in the field collecting data, and then they need to get those reports out to the stakeholders within a day, right? Mm-hmm. And so we're seeing savings of at least an hour per day for each person using WildNote. And then in addition, a couple hours or an, at least another hour savings for the person in the office managing all the data and then having to create the exports. So um, that's where we have a, a real big sweet spot. We also are starting to work with mitigation banks because that's a lot of form-based field data collection. Um, again, kind of environmental consultants, but also really they've niched out on this mitigation banking. And then, mm-hmm. you know, as per this conversation, um, we we really feel like this could fit in um, archaeology 
in certain ways, certain data that you guys are collecting. Um, so we want to learn more about that and we want to niche out the product for archaeologists. Yeah, because I guess when you look at it, regardless of what industry you're talking about, everybody collects things in the field, pieces of information, puts it on another thing, and then exports it as another thing. So it seems like the possibilities are really endless for the fields that could be applicable to this. Yep. Yeah, sure. and, yeah. And in building WildNote, she actually, the, the substructure of WildNote is really something that can be used for anything, for any mm-hmm. kind of data collection. So it could, it's it, we're choosing to be in the environmental realm for a number of reasons, one of which is that's a place where we like the people because there's hiking and beer drinking mm-hmm. and all those <laughs> things in nature, right? Like we're all into that, but also uh, because... Um, it's an area that Kristen knows because of her background, but mm-hmm. it, it could be in agriculture and in education and in the wine industry and uh, in any kind of safety monitoring. I mean, so many different areas that this is in. So um, I, I'd like just like to add to that. So I was, you know, I had my consulting company going and I was starting to read and research about being an entrepreneur. And I think the best piece of advice that I read was pick an industry where you like the people because you're going to be <laughs> around them a lot. Yeah. And I had, I had written software for a, quite a few number of industries and I won't name them because I don't want to like put them down at all, but I really, <laughs> really liked the biologists and the archeologists kind of quirky like that botanists mm-hmm. also kind of quirky, yeah. you know, like love nature, like beer drinking, you know, so <laughs> it just really fit for us. And it's been, we've had so much fun, oh like meeting people and talking to them. And yeah. so yeah. we know we're on the right path in that way for sure. Yeah. Well, we won't judge you for liking biologists. Nobody's perfect, but, um, <laughs> Um, so what, uh, uh, you know, we have, uh, about five minutes left in this segment and then one more. So let's get into WildNote a little bit. What kind of, what can you use WildNote on? What kind of devices does WildNote work on? If I wanted to bring in the field tomorrow, what's my workflow for the different, different, cause that's one of the biggest questions people have with technology is, is, oh great, this app is awesome, but I have to buy $7,000 worth of equipment cause it only works on, you know, the Trimble Geo XH running Windows CE, <laughs> something <laughs> yeah, like that. Right. So what is, so what does it work on? What is somebody getting into when they get this? Yeah, so it works on um, Apple tablets and phones and Android tablets and phones. And so we have mm-hmm. some customers that go out and buy $75 tablets, uh, Samsung Tab A's, um, and use that <laughs> tablet for their data collection. We also have some customers that are just letting their um, employees use their phones. They've already got them. They're out in the field. The thing, you know, once you sync it to the phone, it works just fine. And then they don't actually have to buy extra equipment. And that seems to be on a company by company basis based on their policy around that kind of um, employee equipment. But it does work on both Mm -hmm. Android and iOS. And then we also have a web application that works on the browser. And that's where um, you can when you're back in the office you want to edit your data or you want to export your data or the very first step, which is creating the surveys, all that happens on the web app. Okay. And that's something I, I want to talk about too real quick. But um, I guess, so the app is downloadable for iPhone and Android, but since you have a web app, theoretically, I guess if you had service, you could probably use it on like a Windows tablet or something in the field yes, too, if you, um, if you wanted to. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. So pretty much anything, really, when you yeah, look at it. And Chris, you bring up a good point, too. It does work offline. 
The, okay, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, and that's critical <laughs> for most Absolutely. of what we do. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that actually right. took us. We we launched with just the web app version, and very quickly found out like nine out of ten people told us it needs to work offline. So we had to go back. And yeah. It took us, you know, number of months to go build the the native apps, which is a you know you you create complexity, you cube your complexity basically by adding those two code bases. So. Um, but mm-hmm. it's necessary for your your industry. Does does WildNote work um, offline right now for uh, teams of people? And what I mean by that is, if you've got say a couple people working on the same form, I guess for lack of a better word, um, the same survey, uh, can it can it work offline with that information and then bring it together, or do some kind of in field syncing using some of the um, you know, like Apple has AirDrop and things like that, um, or like a wireless mesh network, anything like that? Or is that something you may be thinking about for the future? What's the current state of that capability? Yeah, good question. Um, at this point, the the syncing happens from the device to the API on the you know on the cloud basically, and then goes right into the database. So there's no device to device communication mm-hmm. happening. Okay. Um, how does it handle conflicts? If two people happen to be working in the same thing and they didn't know it maybe, and uh, and they're both offline, and then they come back and sync it, what, is the, what does the system do about that for conflict resolution like that? Yeah, so the conflict resolution at yeah. this point is last one wins. Um, but now, that's only if someone's working mm-hmm. on the exact same survey form, right? Like if, if they're creating new surveys out in the field, they're just creating new ones, creating new ones. Joe's over here creating his new ones. Jeff is over here creating theirs. And they all sync to the cloud as their own entities. And then then they come back to the devices, to the people, um, and like depending on their role. So somebody might have a role of just a field user. And in that situation, they only see their stuff they only sync their stuff. They only get their stuff back on the mobile. If they're mm-hmm. a field lead, they see everybody's stuff. If they're an admin, they see everybody's stuff, and they have access to all the admin capabilities in the uh, web app. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, because that's real important for archaeology sometimes is having that uh, that separation with different access levels, basically. Because yeah. you could you could actually um, you could actually create different levels too for like clients because sometimes your clients, like if you've got a private landowner client, especially in California, they might want to be able to see some things, but they're still not archaeologists and they're not allowed to see some other things, you know, so yeah. maybe having those access controls would be good. Yeah, um, that's why we built those was for yeah. that, op- you know, when that time comes to be able to give people limited access, don't change anything, but be able to see it at least. Mm-hmm. We have a new role coming on soon, which is the auditor role, which is similar to what you're talking about. Yeah. All right. Well, we're just about our first break, so I think we'll go ahead and do that, and then we'll come back and uh, continue talking about WildNote in just a second. This episode of the podcast is made possible by Codify Incorporated. Codify is a California benefit corporation that can help you with your digital archaeological needs. Visit codify.com today to find out how Codify can help you go paperless in 2017. That's www.codify.com. Now back to the show. Okay, we're back. Um, And I want to talk... I want to talk a little bit more about the the functionality of WildNote and using it in the field because I did get a um, I did get a trial version of it and I was able to uh, play around with it a little bit on the on my um, phone. That's a uh, actually a comment I wanted to make uh, in the last segment. Is you were talking about using it on tablets and phones. I've gone from using the full size um, iPad One. Uh, I've never used the iPad twelve point one inch, my new iPad Pro in the field yet, but I can see that being used for like 
drawing and things really nice, but not for field survey, not for basic data collection. It's just too much. Um, but I've gone from the full-size iPad and over the course of like one year in 2015, when actually Richie was on a project with me, we had some of the um, some of the 10-inch iPads out there and then some of the uh, iPad minis out there. And I started preferring the iPad mini just because of the form factor, because it fit neatly into my vest. And uh but then also, I've got the iPhone 7 Plus now, and on a project Richie was actually working with me on just a few weeks ago, it was just a couple day, couple of days out in, a, in Elko, Nevada, on a mine, and Richie had my iPad Mini 4, and I decided, you know what, I'm just going to use my iPhone 7 Plus. I mean, it takes a 12 megapixel picture um, in TIFF if you use the right app, and which the Nevada BLM requires a TIFF photograph here, and... Uh, and it's it's a great form factor, you know. We're all we're all people have a hard time sometimes getting used to typing on a tablet, um, even if they split the keyboard up on like an iOS device and they just use their thumbs. But they have a hard time typing on it. But almost nobody of you know this ish generation that has a smartphone and has had one for a while, almost nobody has a problem just typing with their thumbs on their on their phone. And that's usually the biggest uh, the biggest problem because you can't usually use your voice. People always ask that because if you don't have service, you don't have Siri. If you don't have service, Google doesn't work either. So um, actually, I'm I'm gonna throw something in. I just did a little research research on this, and you can set both the um, iOS devices and Android devices to have voice activation work offline. So can you do check. that now? Really? Yes, you can. Um, and it might only be with the newer devices. In fact, I feel mm -hmm. pretty certain that it might be for the like I have the Samsung phone. Yeah. And I just have the latest greatest, but I think it's like the six and up. You yeah. can setting that you can turn because uh, I was checking that out because someone else had asked that question and they uh, I found that out which I was pleasantly surprised by so for anyone huh. with newer devices you can actually use the voice uh, dictation feature as long as you um, change the setting on your phone that's interesting I'm definitely gonna look into that and see what the particulars are on that because are they you know the question would be are they saving the voice file and processing it offline or are they just using the higher processing power of the devices to actually just do it live real time That'd be the question I'd have for that. So, yeah. um, well, that's interesting. I'm glad you mentioned that. I'll look. I'll definitely look into that because I hadn't heard about that one yet. Um, either way, a, a lot of times I've noticed when I have tried to do voice dictation in the field, especially here in Nevada, it is constantly windy. <laughs> it's difficult, <laughs> yes. difficult yes. for the thing to hear you properly. <laughs> um, but either way, I like that it works on on a bunch of different devices. I was primarily looking at WildNote, the trial version, on my phone and using the web app. I don't even think I opened it on my tablet, actually. Um, uh, I've got all these tablets, and I hardly use them anymore. It's just my phone and, and, and the computer. So but uh, so that's great. I love the functionality there. I, I have a quick question because I've I've personally been involved in, in two other companies that were trying to do a very similar thing to WildNote. Um, one a while back um, where I had a, a, basically an investor. Uh, who who got real scared about thirty five thousand dollars in and then left and then um, and then you know a more recent one that anybody who's listened to this podcast knows about so I'm curious about funding um, Wild Note is out there it's live uh, was this uh, and feel free to say as little information because some people get a little skittish on this but was this a like a self funded kind of passion project or did you guys seek outside funding for this and then and then bring it to market that way. I'm just curious as to as to how you did it, you know? Yeah, great question. Um this is a it's proudly bootstrapped this product. So <laughs> um bootstrapping for um anybody who hasn't heard of that is basically um creating a company without any outside funding. Mm -hmm. And 
Um, so what I did was I built up a consulting company um, up to well, it's about four people full time and used the, the profits from my consulting company to bootstrap Wild Note. And nice. it got us all the way to uh, launch, actually, which I was really, really happy about. And then, um, you know, I just expected my millions of users to be coming on and signing <laughs> up. And uh, it has been a little slower than expected, honestly. And so um, now we've got a sales and marketing team that we're really happy about. And we are looking for our first round um, of angel slash seed financing to get us through kind of this, you know, runway time, right, to, to build mm -hmm. up enough customers. Because in the SaaS model, you need a lot of users to make it sustainable. Yeah. You do indeed. Um, and anybody listening to this that heard the promo at the beginning of this about rpodnet.com slash membership, members, you do need a lot of users to make this sustainable. So go become a member. But anyway, um, and, and and you know, not only that, but you need users to give you feedback because you can only, my, I mean, my even my own experience, I'll meticulously look at something that I'm creating and then hand it off to somebody else to look at. And they're like, oh, error, 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 because <laughs> you're just too close to it, you know? Yeah. So you need a, you need a sure. good feedback system. You need a thick skin so you can be like, oh, you're right. That does need to be changed. It's not perfect. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, yeah. well, that's good. Yeah, that's good. What kind of... Uh, I guess what kind of users are you finding um, that are using it early on? Like from what sort of fields? Like biology? Um, do you have any archaeologists using it yet? You know, um, do you have a sense of that? Mm -hmm. So we have um, our biggest group is environmental consultants, and then we've got um, a couple mitigation banks, and then we've been giving it away to uh, college students. So we've mm -hmm. got some great success with college students, um, number one, not only because they, they're young and they just get it, they totally get the technology, right? And oh, yeah. they totally can utilize it. Um, we're super excited about a project in Tanzania where um, one of the college students is studying, she's sort of ground truthing wildebeest information coming from mm. aerial photography. And they're trying nice. to understand the different patterns that the wildebeest form into, they want to understand what that equates to in behavior. And so they take these um, aerial photos with an aerostat, actually, mm -hmm. because yeah. the drones have been um, banned from that particular park. And so they've got this balloon with this camera taking these photos and they see a certain um, form and then they uh, use wild note to go out and ground truth. So that's kind mm -hmm. of a fun, exciting project. Yeah. I was just going to say, and putting a plug in for that, we just put up a blog post about that actually at wildnoteapp.com, which is really interesting. This uh, young lady who's a doctoral student at UCSB is doing this work right now. She has about two more years on it, but it's really interesting research. Yeah, that's cool. And I'll tell I can help her out because I've been to Tanzania and wildebeest form into any formation that will block the road as long as possible for you to get through. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is the formation they default to. <laughs> um, yeah. So let's let's get into a little bit about how WildNote works. Um, so I download uh, I downloaded onto my phone. I downloaded onto my uh, you know I'm on the web app on the computer, so I can create um, so I can create my forms. How how do I get started with that? What do I need to do to be able to start using this in the field? Right. So what you want to do is you would go sign up at our web form. So you'd go to wildnoteapp.com and then you'd click like start free 30 day trial button and then you would sign up. 
And then um, you, as the first sign up for a company or organization, become like the company admin, like the owner of that data. And that's important because nobody else can come into your organization unless you invite them because this mm -hmm. data needs to be secure within the organization, right? So it can't be just out there for anybody to see. So then if you had other field folks, you would invite them to your projects and you would give them the roles. You as the company admin would then go to our survey admin tool and build up the survey, um, the question and answer data sets that you want to collect data on. And we're, we're slowly but surely building a library of forms that people can start from. So they don't have to just start from scratch. Nice. Um, and you know, we got the, we, we recently put the DPR forms in, um, to add to the library and we've got SWIP forms and spill reports and compliance reports. We're working on wetland delineation. So just basic, <laughs> we're trying to, you know, collect all the basic environmental botany, archeology, span all those forms that people use a lot so that it's quick for you guys to get started. Once you have um, your survey set up, then you um, download and install the application on the mobile device through either the Google Play Store or the iOS App Store. And then when you sign in with your credentials that you had set up, it will sync all the information that you set up onto your mobile device then now you can go work offline because everything's on the mobile device. Uh, you can take pictures, you can drop lat long points, you can actually take video, um, you can fill out your forms and save it. And then once you're back in um, cell coverage or Wi-Fi, whichever um, you're utilizing for your mobile, then you, you click the sync button and it pops it back up to the, the cloud. Nice. And the next workflow is in the, you know, back in the office, you may want to edit your data and not maybe not on the device. You may want to go through the web application because it's just a little bit easier to work with the data that way. Um, so then there, there's like a whole edit process and then an export process. And then just filling in a few Filling in a few of the things that I think, uh, features that I think are great, um, going back to that survey creation, there's about 30 different answer types that you can use in the survey creation. And I don't know if you had a chance to check out survey creation when I you did were a little bit. So then you saw those different types, including mm -hmm. um, conditional logic. So uh, if-then statements, so if something is... Uh, one way or the other, in, for example, in compliance or out of compliance, then it pops down another field depending on what the answer is. Um, so there's that. There's also repeaters um, so that if you're collecting, maybe you're doing a shovel pit test and you're collecting that repeated data for every pit, um, that set of data would then just repeat over and over again so you don't have to go into a new, a new survey for each set of data. Um, for people, and I know we mentioned biologists before, I might get in trouble here, but for biologists mm -hmm. and botanists, there's taxon, taxonomy lists, yeah. the California plant list and animal list. We have that information along with the metadata associated with that. Soon um, we'll be bringing in the USDA plant list. So those are things that can be easily incorporated into your surveys as well. Um, another really nice feature that if it's a standout feature really that people are really uh, liking is the ability to take your photos from within that survey. So the photos always stay attached to that particular survey. So even when you're back on the web platform, um, we have something called a photo gallery and maybe you saw that Chris, but mm -hmm. those photos then will link back. So maybe you need to find a particular survey and you remember what the picture looks like, but you don't remember which survey it was. 
you can find that picture and link directly back to the survey. And then actually uh, inspired by a, a CRM firm here in California, she was talking with us about the need for the uh, a photo sheet export. And so we also created that. So if you just need to export only photos, we have that ability as well with all of the data associated with that. So a couple of features that that are particularly I'm particularly fond of and people really like. Yeah, people people say they want all the forms, but really what will make them overjoyed is to just not have to type up photo logs anymore. That's the yeah. that's the big thing. Yeah. And that's the one consistency across the whole country, really. True. Yeah. Yeah, well, well we created a photo log export just for that. Mm-hmm. Outstanding. Um, so, can you? So, some of the forms that you have that are um, that you guys pre-built, can those be altered by the end user at all? Yeah, absolutely. So, the beauty is that we have these pre-built forms, but you take mm-hmm. those right into your own workflow, copy them, duplicate them, and then you can do whatever edits you want. So, pull out questions, put in new questions, whatever you want. So, it just gives you a starting place. And it allows you to not have to recreate everything. And sometimes it provides the inspiration that you need to figure out how you want to structure your form. One of the really nice aspects of doing your data collection this way is something that you mentioned uh, earlier when we were talking, which is you can really think about the end at the beginning. So what is the output that you want? And then you Mm -hmm. can create that form based on that. And you're not limited to this, to your 10 page paper form. Right. And so... Uh, you, you know, it's it's really endless in how you can can create that process so that your output is what you need it to be. What about locking form editing? Uh, not form editing from a data standpoint, but like the form itself. Because sometimes, as you guys are experiencing with the California DPR forms, um, I really wouldn't want a field tech going in and say, well, I want to put this field in now and I want to move this one over to here because California doesn't want that. <laughs> There's a very particular way that those things have to be in. So can you, can you lock that down at all and make it so only certain access levels can alter the form? Yeah, the admin access level is the only okay. one who can even see the capability of administering a form. So another question uh, related to the forms just in our last few minutes here. If a company downloads your application and they look at it and, you know, even honestly, some of the simplest things, people are really smart when it comes to archaeology. But when it comes to looking at creating something like this, they're just like their eyes glaze over, right? And they're like, I don't even know where to start. I don't even know how to do things. Even if you give them something to start with, they're just like, I can't handle this. Can they contact you and say, hey, I've got this set of forms, maybe even if it's even a company that has specific forms that they just use in their company, it's not even related to, you know, something outside, it's, you know, mileage forms and stuff like that, or whatever they're doing. Do you you guys have any sort of service where you'll create those forms for them, um, you know, for a cost or something like that, or maybe train them how to use it or? or Yes, absolutely. We, We offer that service to create the forms. And also we offer training services as well. Mm-hmm. And um, we have a little chat button in the web app. And uh, that goes directly to Gabby, who's our customer support person. And she, you know, she can help out right away with creating forms. We have people who send us a PDF version of their form. And then we go ahead and add it to the system for them. And really just depends on their capabilities and experience, right? Some people just get right in, make their forms, no problem. Some people need a little help. And um, we're actually really trying to work on that process, honestly, is how do we make it as simple as possible for people to get started, um, the onboarding process. Um, and, um, you know, getting the, the library is the beginning of that for sure. That's right. And we are a company committed to customer service and helping our customers at, for whatever stage they're in. So as Kristen said, if you need handholding and someone to walk you through that process, 
then we're more than happy to hop onto a, you know, join me or a Skype meeting and um, just take people right through that process completely um, or just answer questions as needed. I was going to add to that also on the output side. Um, so you have the input with the survey creation, but then you also have the output. So um, I don't know if you were going to ask about that, Chris, but um, mm -hmm. we currently right now, the data will output to a really nicely formatted PDF. So setting aside like the DPR forms in California, because um, we're in California, that's what makes me reference that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you have a stakeholder that just needs to to receive an update on what's happening, this is a nice way to export the data that you've been collecting. You have a spot to put your logo. It's very nicely formatted and ready to go. Mm -hmm. um, in addition to that, we also do custom output um, forms as well. So if there's a particular custom output that you need, our dev team can create that for you. Um, there's uh, there's an associated charge with that. That's not a free service. Right, right now, the training is all free. Um, the hand-holding is all free. That's just something that we want to do to get our product into everybody's hands and to help them through that process and to learn from them as much as we can. But on the output side, we can do custom forms like that. And then we also output to Excel, uh, Excel Pivot, um, and KML as well. So okay. I just wanted to show yeah, I want to add on that what Nancy said. So, you know, we're 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 launching the product. We're learning a lot from our users, and so at the moment, it's a really lucky time to get um, involved with WildNote because we're offering really really professional services for free. Um, that won't always be the case, but um, it's it's really an opportunity, a kind of a win win where we can get better relationships with our users and understand the patterns. And then people can get free training and free survey setup and, and getting started uh, help basically. Well, that all leads me into my last question then, uh, which is probably the most important one for most people is how much does it cost? <laughs> what does, what does the, after your, after your trial expires, what is the basic cost of wild without any like customizations or anything? It is, $25 per user per month. So let's say you've got four users in your company using the app. That's $100 per month. Mm -hmm. We're also going to be rolling out uh, project pricing. And actually, this was inspired by a few different people, including um, including an archaeology firm, um, knowing that there are different types of projects that are different lengths of time with different amounts of users. Um, and uh, when you folks are are bidding your work, um, the feedback that we're getting is that people like to have a, a, a price that they can put in that doesn't yeah. vary. And so, uh. um, we're planning on rolling out a, a project, project based pricing, um, very, very soon. And so then people will have an option between, you know, purchasing on a user, uh, basis, a monthly user amount basis or on a project basis. Cool. Well, and I lied, I do have one more question and it's, um, it's actually, it's actually a pretty important one. I was surprised I didn't think of early on. Uh, archaeologists are constantly concerned with their data, uh, whether it's paper forms or in a tablet, and where that data is going and how secure it is and what's happening to it. So uh, let me give you a scenario. A company uses WildNote. They have that on their tablet. They come back, syncs with the web app, which presumably their archaeological data is now on your servers or, servers or Amazon web servers or whoever you guys are using to store data for your web application. Um, mm -hmm. How long, How long? what do you do with that? Everybody's concerned with, uh, I'm actually reviewing a book for 
Cambridge University Press right now that's talking all about this is is about who owns your data and like usage terms and and stuff like that. How long do you store someone else's data and what's your destruction schedule on that? Like somebody decides to stop using WildNote, how do how do they feel confident that their archaeological data is not sitting on your server somewhere? They would go ahead and delete all of their data and then they could be, you know, very very confident that data is no longer available and and um, in our database. Um, and then when they cancel the account, then automatically everything would get deleted as well. But if they wanted to just actually see the deletion happening, they could go through and delete <laughs> all their projects. And then, yeah. and then, um, yeah. And as Krista mentioned earlier, from a company perspective, we believe in easy data in, easy data out. So we're not holding your data hostage in any way. Right. So you can download it right onto your own servers and then delete it at that point. Yeah, okay. we even created like a bulk photo download so that, you know, mm. okay, I want all my data out. Some companies do. They don't want their data stored on the server anymore. Um, they've they've used the data the way they want to, and now they want to clear it all out. And they click a button, and it actually goes through and renames the photos um, based on survey date, uh, location mm. if that's been set up, name of the survey template, the form name, the project name, um, and, and then saves – that information with the photo for um, for your so that when it's on your servers and you go back years later and look at it, you have some kind of context for those photos. Mm-hmm. Nice. Okay. Well, I think that's all we have time for. This is great. Um, if you guys, I'll just extend the invitation right now. If you guys, you know, come up with new features or want to do anything else and and just bring this to our audience, then uh, we'd love to have you back on the show. We appreciate that so much, and we extend the invitation of a free thirty day trial for any of your listeners. So um, mm-hmm. feel free to go on to wildnoteapp.com and try it out. We would love to welcome you into the Wildnote family and um, to get your feedback on how we can make this the very best tool for this um, particular group. Cool. All right. Well, thanks a lot, uh, Kristen and Nancy. And again, that was wildnoteapp.com. And the uh, uh, that address and anything else I can think of will be in the show notes for this episode at arcpodnet.com forward slash archaeotech forward slash 58. So we'll be back uh, in just a few minutes with the App of the Day segment. Hey, everyone. Here's a new program from Simon Fraser University in Vancouver, B.C. SFU Archaeology's professional HRM graduate program exists to train the next generation of leaders in the diverse and dynamic CRM industry. Taught by and for CRM professionals, each of their four online courses delves into a key dimension of CRM, law and policy, ethics and practice, business management, and research design and methods. The MA thesis requirements meet RPA standards and your interest in unlimited career advancement. Check them out online at SFU HRM Archaeology. Spots are filling up for next fall's cohort, so apply today. All right, so hopefully you guys have gone over to wildnoteapp.com and check that out. I mean, a 30-day free trial, you can't really go wrong with that. True. Um, And I I use the free trial, and it's pretty feature-rich. You can do anything you want, enough to to really... um, get a sense of how it's going to be useful but you have to maximize that 30-day free trial i would say do it when you're gonna you know maybe have a project of course like any new technology um you don't want to you don't want to bring this out into the field on a new project without testing yourself and knowing how it works because it's not the app's fault but you could destroy everything because you didn't know how to use it (laughs) well just have a friend borrow it or borrow have a friend download it and use their phone there you go there you go yeah so Anyway, uh, for app of the day, since the entire episode was about an app, and it was kind of like an app of the day episode, <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> we're just going to talk about one more thing because I think it's cool, and I want to see what Richie's take on this and see how yeah. we can use it for archaeology. Because my most fun pastime and hobby is is looking at something crazy and saying, how can I use that for archaeology? You yeah. know, how can I make that work for our field? Which is great. Like I mentioned at the beginning of the the rest of the the segment one here was, yeah. You know, both of them came from outside of archaeology, and they're bringing a lot of value to it because of yeah. it. So and um, new perspective, thankfully. Absolutely, absolutely. So, on the uh, Amazon Prime Day, uh, which was a couple weeks ago for us as we're recording this, uh, which is basically like Amazon's Christmas in July, basically. Mm. Um, there was a bunch of stuff on sale, and I wasn't really taken into it. I, I took a look at it a little bit because my wife was looking for some things, and she was on there a lot. But I ended up seeing, and I've been intrigued by this stuff for a long time. I ended up seeing these um, these little. Uh, it's a little square box that plugs into an outlet that has its own outlet hole on it so oh. it creates another outlet now they say it doesn't block the other outlet but it totally does yeah uh it blocks it a little bit if you've got a thick plug that's going in that second outlet yeah it's gonna be hard to get it in there i had one that was like a grounded three prong oh. and i was trying to plug it in along with one of these things and it was it was a pain um, but basically these are from a company called kugeek k-o-o-g-e-e-k it's the lamest name for a company i've ever heard in my life yeah but I bought like two Microsoft? of them. Like Microsoft, yeah. Um, <laughs> I bought two of them, and because I think it was buy two for like twenty five dollars or something like that, yeah. which is a pretty good price for this kind of stuff. But basically, what these are is these are devices that when you plug it in, you download their app, you make sure you're on the Wi Fi network that you want yeah. those things to connect to. Um, the app basically senses. Uh, the device and says, okay, we're going to put the device on the same Wi-Fi network. You can name the device and then you can you can say what you plugged into it. Like most people will plug a lamp or something into it mm. or Ooh. a coffee maker or something like that. I wish I could plug my coffee maker into it, but I can't turn it on by plugging it in. It's got an extra switch. Oh. That's, that's lame. Anyway, um, so essentially all these things are, no matter what you plug into them, it's an on-off switch. Yeah, but it's more than that. It's more of a it's a power switch. So you wouldn't want to plug like a TV into it because you could damage a TV by just pulling the plug out of the wall. Oh, yeah, <laughs> which is essentially what you're doing. Mm. Yeah. So I'll tell you how I use it, and then we'll get a sense of maybe how we can use this for archaeology. Right now, I've just got two lamps plugged into it: the one on the left side of my couch and the one on the right side of my couch. Right near sunset or so, it gets dark enough that we turn those lamps on. So I actually. Once I set these up through the Koo Geek Home app, um, <laughs> and then I created scenes, um, I basically create a scene that said good night, and I, said, I created another scene that's basically to turn the lights on, because um, a scene can incorporate multiple devices. Yeah. So you can have a scene that says turn these three things on and these two things off and do all this, and a scene could be, I walked in the front door, I want all these things to happen, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. So, um, so you can... Let me say two things. One, you can link this with IFTTT, if this, then that, which uh. if this, then that is a web service that you can connect literally hundreds, hundreds of different services to. So yeah. you could have it say um, location-based. You could have it say, when I walk in the door, through IFTT, you can have this happen. When I walk in the door, I want it to send a text to my spouse or partner to tell, let them know I'm home. Yeah. I want it to turn on the oven and preheat it to 400 degrees because I'm going to bake. And I want it to turn the lights on and I want it to close the garage door. Yeah. If you got all your stuff set up, that will literally happen when you walk in the door. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. Um, now, once we had those set up through the their app, I never used their app again because these are Apple HomeKit enabled devices, and yeah. you can get other ones that work with Alexa. You know the whole other mm. suites of programs, and I think these work with Alexa too. But um, neat. So, so in case anybody's listening to this, um, Alexa, turn off the lights. 
We'll see if that works. <laughs> anyway, um, Alexa, tell me a joke. Anyway, um, <laughs> so these work with Apple HomeKit, so I turn on the Home app on my phone, and uh, and I and it, it imported those scenes because it's all linked together. So it imported those scenes. It already knew what was going on. And now I can use Siri through my either my Apple TV or just through my watch or my phone to say, and, and last night, since I called the scene, good night, I said, you know, Hey Siri, good night, and uh, and it just activated everything. There it is, right there. Um, oh. I said I said that, and Siri said, "Good night, Webby," because that's what she calls me, and shut the <laughs> lights off, and then did this whole "Good night, Moon" nursery rhyme thing for me. <laughs> like it was a little creepy, but uh, <laughs> but it worked flawlessly. Yeah. So so keeping in mind that this is just a power on off switch, basically that's Wi Fi controlled that you can use. And because it's Wi-Fi controlled and not Bluetooth, you can be anywhere in the world. Richie and I are sitting in the studio here, and I just showed him how I turn it on and off the lights in my living room. Yeah. Um, and I've I've messed with my wife before while she's been home, and I wasn't, <laughs> and I just turned the lights off on her, and she sent me a text, stop turning off the lights. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty great. But Richie, can you think of anything, anything that an archaeology company or somebody in the field could do to, to – to maybe automate or make more efficient their workflows by having something that was powered either automatically or Wi-Fi through, you know, an app. Well, you know, we were talking about this earlier as you were doing the preamble. It occurred to me that you can actually probably just check to see if anything is charging because how many times do you plug something in and it wasn't charging? Yeah. I mean, obviously that might be a little more complicated in a way because um, you have to, you know, you have to get everything in because how many people don't plug in the trimble right? Mm-hmm. But at least you can make sure it's getting power. You can go in the morning. Well, I don't know what happened to your crew chief. <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely charging. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if even if it's as simple as, um, uh, you know, like people have to have plugged stuff in, um, but maybe. I don't know. There, there could be a number of factors. You know, batteries these days are are really, um, they're, they've gotten better and worse in some cases because some of these batteries, especially lithium ion, which almost everything has now, is a really particular battery. And it can overcharge if the circuitry inside that prevents it from doing that has failed, mm. which is pretty common. Um, it can, uh, you know, because usually when these things get to a certain charge level, they're supposed yeah. to stop taking power, which is when they start heating up because that power has to go somewhere. Yeah. So, you know, they stop taking power and um, and then they don't, overcharge themselves and destroy themselves yeah but uh so when you plug in all of your stuff into one power outlet like on the projects we were on a couple years ago you know we had all these tablets and trimbles and then we had to plug all this stuff in but these things charge at different rates yeah so i don't necessarily want everything to be on the charger full time all night long but yeah. I know that the longest thing I have to charge might be four hours. Yeah. You know, if it's completely dead, the longest thing I'm going to charge is going to take me four hours. You know, let's just say that's the thing. Um, and if I uh, yeah. if I do that, then, um, you know, if I have this set up to automatically turn off that power strip or something like that at, say, two o'clock in the morning, they'll yeah. say I turn it on and it automatically shuts it off four hours later, then I won't overcharge everything. Yeah. But then maybe I can set up another condition that says... I'm get you know we leave the hotel room at seven o'clock in the morning. I want to yeah. flip this back on at six a.m. and that few percentages it might have dropped, it'll it'll charge those back up, but yeah. then shuts the power strip back off at seven o'clock because you pulled everything in and took it with you anyway. So, could be something like that. Yeah, you know, might be a little overkill. Who knows? Plus, you have to connect it to the hotel's Wi-Fi if True. it's going to work. But I think once you set up the automation, it doesn't need the Wi-Fi. It's in the device on some of those. Ah. so that might help. But connecting to a hotel's Wi-Fi. And then having it stay connected all day, 
<laughs> might be a tall order. Oh man, too bad you couldn't turn program it to turn on your um like your crock pot or something. Well, you can. There's no reason you can't do that. Like, but you have to have the right device. Like, I know I was just telling Richie before we started recording. Like, my coffee pot has a spring switch um, for brew, so I can I could have this thing turn on my yeah. machine, but it won't brew automatically because I have to hit this spring switch that goes in and then comes right back out, and it's really a safety thing, so you can't turn it on and leave it on. You know, the coffee pots oh. that, you, that have a hard switch where you turn it on and it'll stay yeah. on forever and burn the house down. Oh. Um, those would be great to run with something like this because you could set it up the night before, yeah. click it to turn on if you didn't have an automatic thing on your coffee maker, basically. Oh, my God. It's just like my um, that's just my vintage um, coffee maker I've got at home. Nice. It's from the 30s or 40s. And of course it is. I know. <laughs> and as long as I didn't mind, like, um, leaving the coffee, the, you know, the coffee grinds in there. Because yeah. um, generally, I like to um, brew within 15 minutes of grinding it. But still, if I didn't mind that, I would probably just like leave it there all night. Yeah, yeah. And turn it in the morning. Totally. So, so anyway, if you can think of any other uses for, I guess, uh, you know, taking home automation and bringing it into the into the work workplace uh, and figuring out stuff with that, uh, I'd love to hear it because I like hearing new and innovative ways to use stuff. You know what? Oh my God. It's slightly off topic, but the one automation I'd like to see is sometimes you're surveying and someone has to move the truck up. Wouldn't it be awesome if you could move the truck and just move itself up? That's called Tesla. See? I know. Wait, you mean not, um, not Apple? Aren't I mean, they working on a car? Well, you know, it'll be perfected when Apple comes out with one. <laughs> so we'll let Tesla fumble around with it for a while and then Apple will come out with something that works. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, stop. I mean, Automation is in our future. We need to learn how to embrace it. I think, um, not let it take over our lives, but let it, it let it enhance and make more efficient our lives. I would say, true. You know, I mean, it's the same. People look at crazy technological innova- uh, automation and they see it as laziness and things like that. But you talk to somebody two hundred years ago and they might see the car as laziness. Yeah. They might see a telephone as laziness because why can't I just walk twenty miles and yeah. talk to my neighbor? Why would I call them on the phone? No, even better. Um, why take a photo of something when you can just illustrate it, hand illustrate it? Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're beautiful, but you know, it's like yeah. who has the time for that? I know, and it's almost not necessary anymore. We can we can take such good photos in the field now, with the right photo boards and the right applications and the in the right training. Yeah. You know, yeah. you can take amazing photographs, and uh, and then you can even take those photographs and create three D models yeah. and and three D prints later from those photographs. Yeah, but so, we're taking job away from perfectly good illustrators. Oh, my God. There's no <laughs> such thing as a perfectly good illustrator in the field because they're, they're field technicians like myself that don't know how to draw. Fine. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Anyway, if you, have a, uh, if you have an idea for a use for automation in the field um, or any device, um, not just like those Wi-Fi power on off switches, but there's lots of stuff that, you yeah. know, that does different things. Um, there's like those few uh, Philips Hue bulbs, you know, like uh, – uh, I was thinking you could have it be red, and just from a safety standpoint, you could have it so your crew chief, whenever their their phone comes into a certain geofence, like from the office, the the hue on the light starts to change from red to green, so you know that they're safely back in town, and they're they're within the range. Again, a little oh. big brothery, but uh... <laughs> well, I was thinking then you know when to call them and see how their progress went or whatever. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Well, you could you, when it gets green, you know they're ten miles out of town or something, and you can call them and say, hey. I need you to, uh, you know, get the truck washed on your way in and uh, do something else. And, and on the way in, before you come here, unload everything and do a lot of other stuff. You True. Know? So there's lots of little things you could do that don't really cost any money. You know, I mean, those are 
mm-hmm. relatively cheap. You know, and yeah. it's, it, a lot of this stuff works with your existing Wi-Fi network, so yeah, um, it's all coming down in price. Yeah. But, all right. So thanks for the show. Check out the show notes and uh, Wild Net, Wild Note. We're working on them as an advertiser, so you might hear from them by fall. Oh, neat. And uh, and we'll go from there. So if you've used Wild Note or any other digital recording system um, or any home automation stuff, um, please leave a comment wherever you saw this on Facebook or on the uh, uh, on the apps on the page for the show at arcpodnet.com forward slash architect forward slash 58 and uh, let us know how you thought about it. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, guys. That's it for another episode of the Archaeotech Podcast. Links to some of the items mentioned on the show are in the show notes for this podcast, which can be found at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash Archaeotech. If you like the show and want to comment, please do. You can leave comments about this or any other episode on the website or on the iTunes page for this episode. You can also email us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com or use the contact form on the podcast webpage. If you'd like us to answer a question on a future episode, email us. Use the contact form on the website or tweet your questions with the hashtag archaeotech or tag at arcpodnet in your tweet. Please share the link to this show wherever you saw it. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so on iTunes or on Stitcher Radio. You can also type the name of the podcast into your favorite podcasting app and subscribe that way. Don't forget to go over to iTunes and leave a review of the show. It helps us get noticed so more people can find our podcast and benefit from the content. Also, send us show suggestions and interview suggestions. We want this to be a resource for field technicians everywhere, and we want to know what you want to know about. This show is produced by Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle. And edited by Richie Cruz. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to arcpodnet.com slash members for more info.